Chapter 5 of A History of Astronomy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. A History of Astronomy by Walter W. Bryant. Chapter 5 The Revival. Copernicus Tycho Brahe. The revival in Europe was now beginning to be felt. Already Alfonso, king of Castile, had given an impulse to astronomy by employing the best men he could find on the production of a new set of tables, known as the Alphacene Tables, 1488, which, however, were not a success, partly owing to the use of the theory of trepidation already referred to. The same century had also produced Perbach, who translated the Almagest, and had a great reputation as a professor of astronomy. His patron, Cardinal Nicolaus von Cusa, was one of the many before the time of Copernicus who suggested that the sun might be the centre of the universe, and his still greater pupil, Müller of Königsberg, known as Regio Montanus, who, after many years of study, found a wealthy citizen of Nuremberg, Bernard Walther, to supply him with an observatory and instruments, and to share the labour of making observations, which Walther continued for thirty years after Müller's death, introducing, in 1484, the use of clocks in astronomical observations. But a great revolution was just approaching. For many centuries the Ptolemaic system had continued unchallenged. It sufficed to explain, with fair accuracy, the apparent motions of the celestial bodies, and it made no great demands against the evidence of the senses. It would have fallen at once if any modern means of taking accurate observations had existed, for though it represented the direction and velocity of the various motions, it would have failed entirely when applied to the varying distances from the earth. Hipparchus had endeavoured to determine these with a special instrument, and had he succeeded, the history of astronomy might have been very different. It remained for Copernicus to inaugurate a new era. This great man was born at Thorn in Polish Prussia, 1473, and after studying medicine, found himself so strongly attracted to mathematics that, having an uncle who was a bishop, he took orders with the view of having enough to live upon while pursuing his scientific studies. He saw that the daily rotation could be explained just as completely by the rotation of the earth itself from the west to east, as by that of the whole universe from east to west. But having to choose between the simplicity of the one which Ptolemy had rejected as contrary to common sense, and the obviousness of the other, which Ptolemy had deliberately adopted in spite of the enormous motions it involved, Copernicus came to the opposite conclusion and set to work to prove it the true one by demolishing the objections to it. He pointed out that only relative motion is perceived by the senses, and that the air was bound to share the motion of the earth so that the terrible wind suggested by the Ptolemaists as a necessary consequence of the earth's rotation would have no existence. Having thus abolished the obviousness 
on which ptolemy relied the simplicity of the opposite system was bound to prevail copernicus also saw the extreme improbability of the real existence of ptolemy's sphere of the stars which necessitated the assumption that they were all at the same distance from the earth which though not quite impossible was in the last degree improbable he also from a juster appreciation of the enormous distance of the stars deduced that they must be of vast size and not mere points so that the assumption of their daily revolutions about the earth became still more preposterous the next step was less simple as it was by no means obvious that the motion of the planets round the sun would produce the stationary points and retrogradations to account for which ptolemy's complicated system of epicycles was invented but having once admitted that the earth moved in one way it was less unlikely that it moved in other ways and by diligent application copernicus evolved his system by which all the planets including the earth revolved about the sun his theory was far from perfect for he still adhered to circular motion so that as the motion referred to the sun was certainly not circular he had to assume a centre for each planetary orbit outside the sun and all different each involving an epicycle as under the ptolemaic system he also supposed a third motion of the earth to account for the axis always being in the same direction being misled by the distance of the point to which the axis is directed this distance is practically infinite so that the earth's axis does not need any motion in order to keep pointing to it as it would if the point were near as in any orrery or mechanical representation he foresaw the storm of opposition his new theory was bound to encounter and for a long time he himself says thirty-six years refused to publish it at length in fifteen forty three his de revolutionibus orbium coelestium was printed but the only copy he ever saw was brought to him on his deathbed in fifteen forty three and never opened by him his fame is perhaps greater than he deserved for his theory did not claim originality and it certainly lacked completeness he probably owes much in that respect to the reaction after so many centuries of thraldom to a system so highly venerated as ptolemy's the new system soon obtained a hearing after the death of its author and was adopted by some of his pupils before publication but it also aroused vehement opposition not so much from astronomers as from the church of rome though even among learned men it was by no means generally accepted bacon for instance never fully assented to it and it was only after its confirmation by facts which was a natural consequence of the invention of the telescope that it became firmly established before that time arrived however astronomy received valuable assistance in a totally different direction copernicus was a theorist his observations were of no great value in tycho brahe we find just the reverse born of a noble danish family three years after the death of copernicus he was first attracted towards astronomy by a solar eclipse partially visible at copenhagen 
in 1560, the year after he had been sent to the university there. With such tables as he could obtain, he set to work to make observations, and being sent to Leipzig to study law with a tutor, continued his night work with a small globe and a pair of compasses. Even with such elementary means, he soon discovered that not only the Alphacene tables were far from correct for the places of the planets, but that even the more modern Prutenic tables, computed by a follower of Copernicus, were several days in error. He gradually obtained better instruments, and made the important advance of determining the errors of his instruments, and making tables of corrections. In his visits to Denmark, he found very little but contempt for liberal knowledge, and returned again and again to Germany. In 1569 he went to Augsburg, and had a large wooden quadrant constructed, with which he made regular observations, until he once more returned home in 1571, and his maternal uncle, the only relative who had encouraged him at all, offered him part of his house, providing an observatory and a laboratory, for he had lately begun working at chemistry also. Tycho here constructed a large sextant, which he used assiduously, and here, on November the 11th, 1572, he saw for the first time the new star always associated with his name, a bright object in the constellation of Cassiopeia, which became as bright as Venus and visible in the daytime, and then faded gradually until March of 1574, when it was no longer within reach of the unaided eye. He at once began a series of observations to determine, if possible, the parallax of the new star, in order to discover whether it could be anything but a star, and these observations are the basis of his first published work, published at the earnest desire of friends at Copenhagen University, as he himself considered it beneath the dignity of a nobleman. Facilis de sensus Averno. He next married a plebeian girl on his own account, and then was almost compelled by the intervention of the king to deliver lectures in order that others might profit by his learning, discoursing in defence of astrology and on the Prutenic tables. He then travelled in Germany and Switzerland, seeking a location for an observatory, but first made a friend of a persevering observer, the landgrave of Hesse-Kassel, who strongly recommended the King of Denmark to recall Tycho and become his patron. Accordingly, the King, Frederick II, offered him the island of Havine in the Sound, with certain revenues and a pension, and guaranteed the expense of building an observatory. Tycho Brahe gladly accepted the offer, and Uraniborg was built, and equipped with the best instruments obtainable. In 1577 he began work, and observed, among other objects, a bright comet from the motion of which, in conjunction with those of other comets, he observed seven in all, he was enabled to point out that the spheres of the planets could not be solid, as comets passed through freely in every direction, and also that the comets, so far from being atmospheric phenomena, were much further off than the moon. For about twenty years the work went on, a student's observatory being excavated in the grounds of Uraniborg 
principally for the use of Tycho's disciples. Tycho had a very strong belief in his own powers and in the value of his work, and the glory that ought to accrue to Denmark therefrom, and as he was naturally not accepted quite at his own valuation, friction necessarily arose from time to time, on the one hand between him and his tenants, and on the other between him and the court party, whose influence, especially after the death of the king, added to his own want of tact, gradually brought about such a diminution of the revenues originally granted for the endowment of Uraniburg, that ultimately the place was abandoned. Some of the instruments were temporarily used at Copenhagen, until Tycho withdrew once more to Germany, and after some unsuccessful attempts to justify his action and regain favour with the young King Christian, obtained a new patron in Emperor Rudolf II, who received him at Prague and granted him a fine house and a pension, which, however, he did not live long to enjoy. His observations, with the means he was able to employ, before the invention of the telescope, are superior in accuracy to any previously made. He was able to compute the first table of refractions to an altitude of 45 degrees, beyond which the refraction, though very sensible with the telescope, was probably too small for detection by his instruments. He discovered, or more probably, see above, rediscovered independently the lunar inequality known as the variation, by observing the moon at all phases, instead of only at the quarters, to which his predecessors had generally confined themselves, the oldest observers having noted nothing but eclipses, which could only give the mean motions. When the earth and moon are equidistant from the sun, that is, in quadrature, the attraction of the sun tends slightly to draw the two together, and hence to increase the earth's pull on the moon, and so accelerate the moon. At new and full moon, however, the effect is just as in the ocean tides, to draw the new moon away from the earth, or the earth away from the full moon, and so retard the moon. Thus the moon's velocity would, as far as this cause affects it, be a maximum at first and last quarter, and a minimum at new and full moon, so that through each quarter, though the week's motion would be nearly the same on the whole, yet it would necessarily be accelerating and retarding through alternate weeks, and halfway between the quarters would be furthest from where it would be if this inequality did not exist. In these days, as Tycho discovered, it could be more than its diameter away from its previously calculated place. This variation, however, depends also on the distance of the sun, and as this is less in winter, the moon moves on the whole more slowly in longitude in the winter, and thus an annual inequality is caused, which Tycho also noted, but which is only about one-third as great as the variation. He also discovered the varying inclination of the moon's orbit to the ecliptic, so that he left the lunar theory considerably more advanced than he found it. He also determined the position of 777 stars with great accuracy, his catalogue having thus immense superiority over those of Hipparchus and Ullerberg, though, unfortunately, in order not to appear inferior even in numbers to that of Ptolemy, 
he inserted more than two hundred positions of stars hastily observed in order to bring the number up to a thousand his most important incursion into the region of theory his planetary system has not perhaps met with even the credit due to it copernicus as we have seen faced with the difficulty of the enormous motions of the stars on the one hand and the apparent immobility of the earth backed by centuries of dogma on the other rejected the latter as the lesser difficulty tycho brahe did not though he adopted the simplification of making the planets revolve round the sun yet he supposed the whole universe to turn about the earth he considered with very good reason that if the earth really moved round the sun the stars would show it by apparent displacement and as the stars to him being as must be always remembered without telescopic aid seemed to be large he had a different dilemma to face of which copernicus not being an assiduous observer had probably no idea as in order to appear so large and yet so distant and as to show no annual displacement or parallax as it is called the size of the stars must have been inconceivably great moreover it is urged that if the earth rotated a stone falling from a high tower would deviate from the vertical copernicus supposed that the air carried it to evade the difficulty tycho apparently denied the rotation but it must be remembered that he was hardly free to criticise the views adopted by the church and his patrons the only difference between the two systems being that in the one case the sun was fixed and in the other the earth all the other motions being mathematically the same there were good grounds at the time for preferring tycho's system for it was only after his death that the theory of mechanics cleared away one difficulty and the invention of the telescope by proving that the stars are at such a distance as to appear only as points instead of large disks removed another while the researches of mighty thinkers so elaborated the crude form in which copernicus left his system that very little more than the name remains unmodified it is hardly fair therefore to compare the modern form of the copernican system with the unaltered one of tycho besides by his cometary researches which demolished the solid spheres of ptolemy he did yeoman service to all ptolemy's opponents including copernicus and by the long series of careful planetary observations which he saw to be necessary to support his own or any other system he provided the materials for the next great advance which is due almost as much to him as to kepler himself End of chapter five